uh, marketing can't solve everything. And, and, but when marketing does solve something, it is really exciting and fun. Um, marketing is not going to fix like foundational pricing issues or bad packaging or, I mean, or you know, a horrible um, consumer experience. Like you're not going to save yourself with marketing. Um, but when you have all of those things right, and then you have an incredible marketing campaign, um, it is really, it's really fun to see it work. Hey, fellow marketers, welcome to another episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast presented by the marketinghelp.co. All right, so today we have another Career Moments episode, and this is going to be a good one. Um, this is going to be, I'll call this, this will be an education um, episode for any marketer seeking to define a solid career plan, uh, maybe one that includes paths across various industries and company types, because that intro clip you heard was our guest, Sarah Clayton. Now, now Sarah is the head of commerce at one of the a leading agency called PhD Media. And she's got a tremendous marketing career path, many insightful career moments that she talks about. And specifically, Sarah's going to uh, share some tips on uh, a couple things in this episode, like how to effectively plan for your next role, the keys to managing up, even if you have a bad boss, and an effective approach to marketing interviews that I'm not sure many of you have actually considered yet. So let's just get right into it. Here's my conversation with the head of commerce at PhD Media, Sarah Clayton. To the episode. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure. So um, how about we start off by just taking a, a couple sentences to explain to everybody listening um, more about like what PhD Media does, who they are, and then quickly just summarize uh, what your role is inside of PhD Media. Sure. Um, so I am the head of commerce at PhD Media, and we are a full service media agency. Um, and so we have a whole host of clients across different verticals. Um, we have auto clients, luxury clients, CPG clients, um, travel, um, and, and I think that's about it. Uh, but lots of different verticals we cover, and um, and so kind of full media planning from, from initial brief and understanding how to uh, reach your consumer all the way through to actually activating and, and executing those plans. Got it. We're going to get into more detail in your role after the break here, but let's just go back to, or I should say at a high level, think about your career path. And from what I could tell, um, your career takes an interesting turn, uh, I say about two years ago, but we'll get to that. So why not start at the beginning here where you finish your undergrad with a degree in uh, health and society. Love to know more about what that was. Um, the, so how do you go from that undergrad into a, a role in marketing um, or what steps took you into a role in marketing? Yeah, so I, um, I went to undergrad in upstate New York at the University of Rochester, and I was a public health, health and society major. Um, and I got to about my junior year, and I, and I had this moment of like, what am I going to do next? And I, I met with a lot of different professors and mentors and uh, friends, parents who were you know, in various different roles. And I, I kind of sought out like two different paths. One, I could go the business angle, um, and the other one would go go get a master's in public health. So one was go get an MBA, one was master's in public health. Um, I thought that getting an MBA was going to open up a lot more doors for me um, and, and make me less focused on healthcare and more broader business experience. So I actually went right from undergrad into graduate school, um, which was an interesting choice. And you know, hindsight is, is great because you can say, well, that was the right thing or the wrong thing. But uh, for me, it was the right thing because I didn't really know what to do, what to do next. And so doing some more education was, was a great path for me. Um, it also meant that I didn't go back to graduate school <laughs> several years later, which was nice too. Um, 
so went into business school and, and in within business school, I, you know, actually fi- focused on finance and, and marketing kind of as a subset, um, but really continued that healthcare focus throughout. Um, and so started to apply to pharmaceutical companies and, um, and got a, got a call and said, you've, you've made it to an interview for the assistant brand management intern, um, at Novartis Consumer Health. And that was on a Monday. And they said, we'd like to fly you down on Thursday, which I was in awe of, cause who knew that I'd be flown somewhere for an interview. Right. Wow. Um, and, uh, but first I had to go figure out what a brand manager does. So I, I Googled that, um, and went to the career center and focused on all the different things to learn what a brand manager actually did. Um, and, and got, did a quick read on that, studied up and went to the interview and, um, somehow made it through <laughs> and, and got a, got an internship where I was the, the summer intern on Excedrin, uh, which really started my path in, in brand marketing and, uh, within the OTC space. And you're at Novartis for, uh, you know, I'll say almost five years, right? So um, yeah. after the internship, I guess that led to a full-time role. So talk about that transition. Was it, you knew as soon as you're in that internship that, wait a minute, I've unlocked something here that kind of marries all my passions and interests and caused you to kind of lean in to, to really want to get that promotion to the full-time role, I guess. So, so what was that transition like from intern to, to full-time role? Yeah. So um, at the end of your internship, they kind of bring you in a room and they give you your review and, and they say like, we're either going to recommend you or you're not. And I had quite the jokester of a boss at the time. And he was like, oh, he's like, we're not sure. And I was like horrified. Um, and then he was like, just kidding. He's like, you did a wonderful job. You're a fantastic intern. We're going to recommend that we hire you. And of course I was thrilled. Um, but to your point, you know, I wanted to be in healthcare. And I think the moment that I sat in my first focus group and I listened to migraine sufferers talk about the impact that a migraine has on their life and how much their migraine solution actually helped them. Um, being Excedrin was really impactful for me. And it was actually a moment when I could say, okay, uh, this brand marketing thing isn't just, you know, like mushy stuff. It's actually helping people. And, um, and I thought that the impact that the brand had on people's lives, um, in such a debilitating state was really important to me. And, um, and so came back full time the following summer, um, stayed for about five and a half, six years. Uh, we were acquired by GSK in that time. So um, while it looks like I went from Novartis to GSK, I actually kind of slid right in. Um, and then um, and then after that transition, took the opportunity to, to transfer over to Bayer, where I spent another five years um, and kind of took the very traditional uh, assistant brand manager, associate brand manager, brand manager, senior brand manager, uh, director kind of path. Um, but within that, I also went to global. Um, and so, uh, what, when you start a big company, you, you think you have this very stable job and then you learn that reorgs happen and you don't know where you're going to land sometimes. And, um, or you work on a product that doesn't launch. And in my case, I actually was working on a product that didn't launch and we had a reorg. Um, and so I spent about six months in there, just kind of in limbo, um, picking up projects, uh, (laughs) working on different, uh, kind of side hustle, projects within the organization, um, and then landed a job in the global marketing organization at Novartis, uh, working on global Theraflu, which was really fun because it was a business that was huge uh, globally, um, as well as in the US, but quite quite a big global presence um, in Eastern Europe and Russia. So, so um, a lot of good things that you covered there. And when it comes to the transition, the acquisition happens, GSK now owns you at Novartis. And when you move from GSK to Bear, what was that transition like? What was the reasoning behind that? What was the impetus to get you to switch companies? 
So for me, uh, when we got acquired, we became a new company. And um, it was this moment where like, oh no, like I have to rebuild everything that I've been building for the last five years, like your own personal brand, your equity within the company, like both financially, but also like your personal equity, um, your advocates. Uh, we saw a lot of people leave. And, and with that, a lot of my advocates left. And, um, and so it was a moment where I was kind of working in a global role, so not terribly connected to the people in my office in New Jersey. Um, and, and like all of my advocates were somehow somewhere else all of a sudden, uh, either in Switzerland or just at a different company. And so for me, it became a moment of, if I'm going to be at a new company, um, maybe I want to go pick what company that is. And so I took the opportunity to, to interview and, um, actually throughout my career, I would always take an interview. Like it was just something that I kind of kept, you know, if something interesting comes across the desk, you take the interview and, um, if it's not right for you, you, you move on. And if it's something really interesting, then maybe you pursue it. And so, um, took the opportunity to, to take some interviews and, uh, found a great group of people at Bayer that I, that I went to work for. So what I, when I look at uh, LinkedIn backgrounds, um, and I see the tenure and I see that, you know, people that have worked someplace for four years, five years, six years, there's something there, especially in marketing roles for all the things you just discussed about the, the dynamic nature of acquisitions, mergers, people leaving. Um, but in your, your career path, you spent, uh, at Bear and at Novartis, you know, at least five plus years in each, in each, uh, position or each company, I should say. So there must be something there. And, and you, you talked about how you were six months in limbo and just kind of floating around there, but you were proactive enough to pick up things to stay relevant, I'm assuming. So what is the, what is the tip for somebody that, you know, uh, sees that there's a trajectory for a career path development inside of one company? You know, what, what was your, what would be your tip to those people uh, looking to maybe stay someplace longer than 18 months? A couple of things. So I think first is be a hand raiser. Right. So if there's something interesting going on in the organization, if something's not right in the organization, raise your hand to go fix it. Right. Like maybe you have some ideas about how to fix it. Maybe you don't. Um, I'm not always the idea person, but I am always the I will roll up my sleeves and help figure it out person. And so um, I laugh about with my husband sometimes because I'm, I'm great at the how. Right. Like people love to work with me. Right. It's it's uh, it's a great skill that I have of building relationships, like getting involved in side hustles and extracurriculars and after school projects kind of stuff um, within an organization, which which means you build advocates in different places. So it's not just your boss or your boss's boss or, you know, your finance manager who you work closely with. It could be people in completely different departments. Um, who you would have never had exposure to, but because you raised your hand, because you offered to help out on something, whether it's build the culture, help new interns on board. Um, I don't know. It could be anything, right? Like yeah. build a community within, like we had a whole group of ABMs and we were all, you know, this was all of our first jobs. We were assistant and associate brand managers. And like, how do we actually build that community? And so we started like the ABM network, right? And we would meet monthly for lunch. We'd go to happy hours. It's like where I built some of my closest friends um, and colleagues really early on. And so I think raise your hand, get involved in things that might not be squarely on your plate um, and know that that's like an extracurricular, right? It's like something that will benefit you in your career, um, but might not be directly connected to your job at hand. And I think those are the things that that allow you to meet other people so that when you find yourself in limbo for six months, you get tapped to to get involved in, you know, different interesting projects. And that, that's a great point on hand raising because um, there's a big difference between that because those listening that say, I'm going to raise my hand and then I'm going to stick my hand out and ask for a raise. 
that's not what you mean. What you mean is selflessly raise your hand to just be part of connecting with others, not just people, but also the mission of the company. You know, if you, if you like the company that you're working for. So you're right. And, and for those that raise their hand in times of, of, of uncertainty, uh, they're, they're the ones that are picked to, to kind of ride it out. I remember being in conversations where we had to do layoffs and the question is always asked, who do you have? Who can you offer? I think is the way they phrased it for, for a reduction in force. And you look across your team and of course you're going to say, well, if there's those that do their job, then there's those that do their job plus. And what you're saying with the hand raising is be the person who's the, does their job plus and, you know, not just job security, but also job opportunity, like you're saying for, for uh, trajectory growth. Now, um, I guess the one caveat I would say there is don't raise your hand for something you don't like, because then it becomes a real burden. Um, I remember there was one project around like packaging, like optimization and like really detailed nitty gritty stuff on like back labels of, of products. And like, I remember I got involved in that and it was quickly (laughs) a misstep on my part. So I'd say uh, for me, it was always about people, culture, um, process, organizational design that would uh, actually help make our day-to-days better um, and and not so nitty gritty uh, kind of technical expertise. Which, which great point, because that's, that's you showing that you uh, were self-aware to know after that, you would never raise your hand for something like that again, but you had to do it once to figure out, okay, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, it helped kind of optimize your, your approach moving forward. Um, so after these two roles, a lot of great experience. Again, you met a lot of people, built a great network, and then the turn happens in your career. Um, where again, when I look at LinkedIn profiles, I try to piece together, connect the dots, tell a story in my head of how this person's navigating a career. Then you go to the agency side. So break down for us how you went from what for some people would be dream jobs, right? Brand manager, assistant brand manager within this industry of, of healthcare and pharma. You then go to the side of, of PhD, the agency side. And I guess, you know, talk first about, about how that transition happened. Yeah, so um, I made it through several reorgs in my career. Uh, I think at each organization, probably one a year, if not, maybe more sometimes. Um, but in uh, 2020, of at, in the year of 2020, uh, it was a long, hard year for all of us. Um, but at the end of that year, Bayer had a, had a reorg, and I did not make it through that one. And so getting laid off um, was probably one of the most humbling experiences that I've had. Um, it's a real kick in the face. And um, I, I, we just had a whole bunch of new hires join and I told them all, and I will tell this audience as well, if you get laid off, give me a call because it is a very humbling experience. And yet it is sometimes and very often a very great experience um, that will lead to much more opportunities. And I had the benefit that my husband, who also worked in pharma, um, got laid off almost every year as a sales rep for many years straight. So he he's the real rah-rah in that, you know what, when I got laid off, he was like, don't worry, pick yourself up, take a, take a beat, right? Figure out what you want to do next and then pick yourself up and know that the next role will be an exceptional one for you. And, um, and getting laid off creates a lot of really excellent opportunities. And so for me, it took it, it created an opportunity where I actually got to take a step back and say, what do I want to do next? Um, because I could have very well gone and applied for another director of marketing role at any of the CPG or other pharma companies nearby. I'm in New Jersey, so there's plen- they're plentiful here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I didn't, I, um, I took a moment to say, look, what's, what's hot in marketing right now. And it's commerce and it's e-commerce and it's, um, and it's figuring out how to reach your consumer in a different and an interesting way. And, um, and I also took a step back to say, what do I want to be in five years? Um, and I knew I wanted to be a CMO. And so for me, it was, how do I, what are the skills that I need to create and need to develop, um, between marketing director and a CMO someday? Um, and what you'll start to see is a lot of CMOs are now chief marketing and experience officer or chief marketing and customer experience officer, you know, and like you start to see experience in there. Um, you start to see people that have media and their background become the CMO. Um, and I think that's an interesting, um, an interesting way to get an experience as well, right? Is like, how are you actually reaching that consumer and what is that experience like for them? And so for me, I had kind of a few different buckets. One was go work at a small company and be VP of marketing, um, where likely I'd ha- wear many hats and have a much smaller budget than what I was used to. And uh, so that was one path I went down. The other was like kind of go to one of these more well-established D2C companies. So I talked with folks at Bombas and Harry's and um, kind of these, these startups that um, were digitally native startups and um, D to C and well-established, but well-funded, right? So it wasn't like startup, can we keep the lights on, but, you know, had been through several rounds of funding and uh, more established. And then uh, commerce was the other place. So I talked to a few different like pure e-commerce play kind of um, companies that were helping clients figure that out. I also talked to some that were launching um, Amazon brands and then actually creating them into full distribution brands. So kind of starting on Amazon and then harnessing that um, to go get distribution in other channels. So those are kind of the three buckets. And then at the last minute, I also threw in agencies. Um, so I talked to a few different agencies, um, but PhD was the one that really convinced me that an agency would be a great place to go. Um, I met with my boss, uh, Catherine Sullivan, who's the CEO of PhD, and she is very impressive, uh, a wonderful leader, um, an incredible business person. And um, she, I met her and I, and I was like, I'm going to come work for you. Um, and, and this was the, the, the space that she had, which was perfect because um, in my last role at Bayer, I spent a lot of time talking with retailers. Um, I was on a business that had been declining um, and had the opportunity to go you know, meet with Walmart, meet with Target, meet with Kroger, all these major retailers um, and spend some time in their offices and figure out kind of what what they needed um, a brand to do to be successful. And so, and then as retail media <laughs> expanded right before our eyes, um, it became an even bigger portion of the total consumer experience. And so after meeting Catherine, I um, decided that PhD would be an incredible place to go. She was like, we need to figure out our commerce offering. We obviously are are helping clients in the commerce space, um, but we need to operationalize that a bit more and, and figure out what our product offering is, what our positioning is in the market, and how we can help clients um, better reach their consumers in retail media, in shoppable media, in social commerce. Um, and so I had the opportunity to come on and build that, which has been um, a wild and exciting ride over the last 18 months, but really fun. And, and it's allowed me to kind of branch out in the marketing space um, from pharma, right? So we don't have any healthcare clients. Um, and so I have learned a lot about the luxury space, um, some more traditional CPG, the auto industry. Um, and so get the opportunity to really dive in with these clients and, and help them navigate. And it sounds like this, this role was a net new role. Yes. What yeah. So she, yeah. 
Yeah. So she joined the organization and she was like, I'm going to build this team. And, um, commerce was clearly a focus, um, uh, for her and, and for the organization. And, and so it worked out great. So when switching industries, well, first of all, I love how you, you gave yourself that framework of, uh, what, what, what do I want to do or what's hot, excuse me. And then, um, where do I want to be in five years? Cause a lot of people just take jobs and job interviews for the sake of taking the job and the job interviews. And then they wake up two months in and say, what am I doing here? Cause it's not tied to any real purpose. So that's a great exercise for anybody who's thinking about this at home. Got to have a plan, got to have some structure to your decision-making, which led you to these three buckets, which I love the fact that agency was kind of the, Oh, well, let me just one more here. Let me throw agencies into the mix here. That ended up being your path, but you clearly were seeing where there was opportunities because this was a step to get you to CMO. Um, so I think career planning, marketing, career planning, this is a great example of the steps you can take to give yourself a, a purposeful path so that every job that you interview, every energy uh, that you exp expand into looking for a role, it's, it's, it's for a reason. Um, what is the biggest eye-opener going from you know, healthcare, pharma, to agency? Um, there's a few. I think um, the first is the amount of times I get asked, like, wait a minute, you went client to agency? <laughs> We're all trying to go the other way. Right. Um, which is just funny to me because I never really thought of it that way sitting on the on the client side. I never realized that that was such a desirable place. Um, but I guess that that's <laughs> all dependent on where you're sitting. Right. Um, and and I, I, not, I don't say that disparagingly at all. I had a great career in, in brand marketing and, and wouldn't change a thing. Um, I think one of the uh, I think a couple of things. One great thing about brand marketing at a big company and, and particularly in pharma um, is they are incredible at developing people, uh, investing in, in top talent, investing in talent, ensuring that you have a development plan, a clear path. Um, you learn those skills really early around building a network, um, navigating an organization, finding a mentor, finding the people who are going to, um, help you and look out for you. Um, and even in the, uh, most nurturing environments, you still need advocates, right? It's, I, it's not like you need these people to look out for you because it's so cutthroat. You need these people to look out for you because you always need more people knowing who you are and, and being able to speak on your behalf. Um, because things change so fast and you need to make sure you have the breadth and depth of, of your network. Um, and so I think pharma is really great at that. And, and I benefited from that greatly. Um, I think agencies don't do that as well, um, is what I'm learning. And I think the opportunity for an agency to do that better is, is what's distinct is, is what's distinguishing agencies today. And it's another thing. What I love about PhD is because we actually are taking the time over the last year to actually take that step back, figure out how do we bring in new hires that are straight out of undergrad? How do we like grow them, ensure that they're set up for success? We have a whole digital boot camp of you join PhD and you're fully immersed in your practice. So whether it's search, social, programmatic, video, and even commerce, um, and to ensure that you have the robust foundational understanding of the different platforms of your day-to-day -day of how are you going to measure, how do you use all the different systems? Um, and so I think agencies are getting there and the ones who are standing apart are doing it um, better and faster than the others. Um, so I think that's one thing. Um, but but still a, a bit behind where pharma is because they have done it for so many years so well. Um, what I love about the agency that I didn't have on the client side is um, an incredible passion for 
media, brands, the industry, um, just this eagerness to learn, this curiosity to know everything that there is about a certain, um, I don't know, media, a certain form, a certain channel. Um, and, and hearing people talk about what they're passionate about just excites you, right? It just like kind of lights that fire. It reminds you why you're in marketing. Um, and I think one of the things that, that brand marketers get bogged down with is that only at some point, <laughs> at some point, uh, only part of your day is actually done marketing, right? You spend a lot of your day doing budget reconciliation and forecasting and figuring out why your P&L is, is not going in the right direction and um, figuring out if you had a packaging change and what actually happened throughout the system and, you know, why is that spelled wrong? Or, you know, there's a lot of stuff that is um, not the fun part of marketing that you do as a brand manager. And I think um, media and advertising actually gets to do all the fun stuff, right? It is really thinking about creative ways to connect with your consumer um, and, and ensuring that that you are at the forefront of, of the changing media landscape. Now, when you think about um, why you picked uh, this role, head of commerce, tied to commerce, you mentioned how the commerce explosion has happened, continues to happen. You know, when you think about those, you know, in our audience that are considering or curious to learn more about a path in commerce, um, what are some skills that, that marketers need to be you know, getting familiar with or getting some some reps with uh, if they're considering a path tied to anything commerce, whether it's the small startup, like you said, the D2C brand, or it is working inside of an agency that deals with a ton of uh, commerce-focused uh, businesses? Yeah, so I would say there's a couple of different things. Um, first, retail media. Um, if you have any sort of passion or interest in retail media, um, spend some time researching that. Spend some time working in the different platforms if you can. Um, Amazon obviously is the original, um, of this and, and actually the most well-established, um, but Walmart connect Kroger, um, Roundell target, um, they, and, and now we even see it as we go into Macy's Nordstrom, Ulta, like everyone has a media network today. So, and they would just continue to expand because they know the value of their first party data. Um, and, and what that means to brands who are trying to reach those consumers, especially as we look forward to a cookie-less future. So um, I think if you have interest in retail media, if, if you have interest in retail overall, it's a great space and there's not a ton of people who actually have any experience in it. So um, if you can get that early and quickly, that you become a very valuable asset, not only to a brand team who probably doesn't understand it, but also to a media agency who is just ramping up on, on how do we navigate these spaces too. Um, so that'd be one. I think the other is, is understanding, um, the consumer journey, right? I think it's the, the most valuable thing you can do as a brand owner is understand where your consumer is, where you can reach them. When are they most susceptible to that, that advertisement or that connection? Um, and then figure out how to make it shoppable because I think, uh, the, the days of the traditional funnel are, are over. The funnel is no longer linear. It doesn't happen in the, the same traditional steps that it used to. It, it's very much, um, you can convert at any step, you can drive awareness at any step. And so the awareness driving vehicles now can be shoppable and the uh, conversion driving tactics now can build your brand. And so that, that piece of more that where we traditionally learned, you have to do this and then this and then this, it's, it's outdated and it's unrealistic. And so thinking about how do you best reach your consumer for a really seamless shoppable experience, um, will allow you to 
to create a better consumer experience, right? So it's not just about the best brand message or the best brand purpose. It's how do you actually take those pieces and get it to the consumer in a way that's impactful to them um, and then convert them to a sale as quickly as possible. And then I think the other piece to think about is that while the funnel isn't linear, all of those objectives are still very relevant. So what are you trying to do? Um, and so we have this conversation a lot about as these lines get blurred, are you trying to drive awareness with this, this tactic or are you trying to drive conversion? And, and so thinking through what your objective is, what you're optimizing to, um, and then what you're, what you're actually going to measure is, is really important because as we start to do multiple things with different tactics, or as you start to leverage more traditional tactics to do more lower funnel things, um, thinking about what you're optimizing to and what you're measuring becomes a very critical conversation. I think that's great advice because as you were describing the skills that are, that are worth focusing on here, here's the good news. Anybody listening, if you invested the time and effort, could, could prepare yourself. Like you said, there aren't many people that are specializing in this sort of uh, thought process or, or skill set. Therefore, <laughs> there's an opportunity to really shine or stand out or have a nice conversation piece ready for when you do interview or when you do connect with someone networking is you show them that you have this, this interest. Therefore, uh, you've educated yourself in the retail media space by doing X, Y, and Z. Like you said, get in there and, and if you can, get in there and test it out if, if, if you're able to. If not, educate yourself. And for those, because I think the next question after this is, you know, when it comes to retail media, where should we go to learn more about that? Yes. Um, well, most of the retailers have, uh, you know, some kind of basic learning program available. Yep. Um, and so I would just go to their websites, right, and see what kind of university accreditation credits they have um, where you can actually brush up on the skills yourself. Um, the other piece is go be a consumer, right? Like go to their website, see where the ads are. And I think it's like kind of the, the most uh, basic way to learn. But think about if you were the consumer searching for whatever it is, let's say dog food, right? You go to Kroger and you look for dog food. You go to Petco and you look for dog food, right? And like go through that experience, see who's doing it well, see where it's the easiest to buy, pick a brand, um, do like your own little personal audit and figure out, um, are they investing in paid search? Are they investing in, um, are they investing in their content? Like, what does it look like? Do they have pictures? Do they have product overviews? Do they have reviews? Um, and actually just do a little homework. Um, if you're going to interview for a brand, do a little homework on that brand, um, and, and brush up on the experience and see if you can identify areas where you think, uh, they could do better. I, I love the proactive audit and, and everything you described in terms of being resourceful to go make some observations because imagine the power that has when you bring that into a conversation let's say you're interviewing with yourself or someone who's overseeing commerce brands and you say hey i did this little project where i decided to do this this and this and and this is why i want to work in this position or work for this company um so so when you think about um what you're doing in phd uh in your role as commerce and then you, you, you kind of alluded to in five years, I want to be a CMO. Is there any clarity on what that looks like? So my question here is like, what's next? What's next? You know, you, you're, you're really um, talk about learning agency. You know, it's go into a net new role that's overseeing a whole department of commerce. So you're getting a good taste for the agency world here. What does it look like for you next in terms of your career path? 
You know, it's interesting because I um, I think about this a lot. Uh, and I think what has been greatly beneficial to me at being at the agency, like I said earlier, is I, I've gotten to learn a bunch of different industries. And with that, meet some very interesting CMOs. Um, and so I think that... Um, I might not know where I'm going next, but I know a couple of things of what I'll look for in the company that I go to next. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that where I may have previously been more traditional and like, oh, they must have great brand purpose and they must, um, you know, invest in brand building. And, and I love a, I love a good company where the CEO is a brand builder or the head of the country is a brand builder and not a, not a finance guy, um, because they tend to, they tend to believe in marketing a bit more. Um, and so uh, that's kind of where I was probably 18 months ago. Now, as I think about it, I do think like, is like, as I think about an organization, like, are they, are they proactive in how they're reaching their consumers? Are they thinking about commerce holistically? Is their organization set up to even allow them to think about commerce holistically? Because a lot of times what I see is they have brand marketing and media dollars in one space. They have retail media and shopper marketing in another space. And then they have a whole separate e-com team. Um, and, and that's not how your consumer experiences your brand. And so an organization that's set up like that is probably set up to not be in the best service to your consumer. Um, and so I think that's something I would look for. Um, I think organizations that are open to change, everyone says they're open to change. Um, but, but take a look at, at actually, have they, have they changed? Right. Um, and what will that take? Because, and, and, and I guess furthermore, how do they define change? Because a small incremental change may be huge for an organization, um, which may not be enough to excite me and get me amped up to go work there. And so I think, I don't know what's next. I think I've met a lot of really interesting companies where I, I probably thought I was going to go work and be a CMO of a brand product someday. I actually think a lot of the spaces that I'm learning about is about CMOs of, of like the ad tech space or, or different kinds of um, companies that work with various brands. And so I think um, leveraging the more traditional brand fundamentals that I learned in, in CPG and product marketing um, and, and bringing that to a company would be, would be kind of interesting too. And I love how you phrase that in that, you know, and it's okay for everyone out there who's thinking about this. You don't need to have an answer, but what you just described is what I hope everyone is, is thinking about is, you know, 18 months into your role, you've identified the things like this list of things that I'll be looking for whenever that day comes so that you, you see it, 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 it connects with you and then you document it so that, you know, the way you describe that in terms of the companies that don't just say they do change for the sake of change, but there's some more, some more that you learn that by talking to somebody in, in your day to day now. So it's capturing those ideas and those moments of influence uh, for what's going to shape the next role. I, I'm a big believer in this too, because I, I, I talk to, and I see so many marketers make that knee jerk reaction um, not well planned, not well thought out. It's, it's either chasing the title or the money, or in some cases, the company and the cachet of that company. And then having not thought through those things of what is important to them, guess what? <laughs> They're either underperforming, unhappy. Uh, it's just, it's a bad recipe uh, in terms of a marketing career. So, yeah. uh, and I think I, on top of all that, uh, make sure you're working for someone you respect and uh, that you really um, impresses you, right? I think I mean, I, I have no plans to leave PhD because I, I work for Catherine and I, she continues to impress me. She continues to, I continue to learn from her um, and the way she works with clients. 
um, the way she manages the team, um, I continue to, to learn from her incredible leadership. And, um, and so I think work, who you work for is just as important as the type of work that you're doing. Definitely. We're going to dig into if that. If not more. <laughs> Absolutely. And we're going to dig into that a little bit after the break. So last question here for the first section is, um, when you think about your career, and again, again, the, the turn you've made in the last uh, year and a half or so, we think about everything in terms of what you experienced to get to where you are. Uh, what's the most memorable career moment for you so far? Most memorable career moment so far. Um, so it's an interesting one. I was working on Benefiber, which is a fiber supplement. Um, and we, uh, and, and it was a fiber supplement that disrupted the fiber category, right? Fiber category was Metamucil for 125 years. It was well-established. Benefiber came in and launched with like incredible, like high fashion couture. Um, it wasn't like your grandma's fiber. Um, and it was clear and taste-free and it was a, a great fiber supplement. Um, and I worked on that business and it was the first, and we uncracked this really interesting consumer insight and we built an incredible campaign around it. And we had an incredible execution that was going to run on TV and we put it into market and we saw the share grow. And it was the first time, and I, I'm probably ashamed to admit this, but it was the first time where like marketing actually worked. And we were like, oh my God, like we have a great consumer insight and we put it into market and we have an, an incredible like connection plan of how we're going to reach our consumers. Not just, I mean, it was several years ago. So TV was a big portion of it, but we had an entire digital um, and, and publisher activation that was really interesting. And um, it was the first time for me where I was like, oh my gosh, like this is really working. And, and you actually can see the share growth happen and you actually see consumers make the choice at shelf to go pick your brand. Um, and I think that for me, it was one of those moments where I was like, we're on it. Like, this is cool, right? Like it, it doesn't always happen. And sometimes it's very slow and sometimes it's very hard to measure. Um, but when you get it right and you actually unlock something really powerful, um, it, it's really exciting, right? It's kind of like, in golf, when you hit that great shot, that's why you keep coming back to golf. Um, and so sometimes when it's rare, it's, it's that much more impactful. And were you losing faith in, in marketing uh, as, a, as an execution before that moment? <laughs> well, you know, I've worked on several turnaround brands um, yeah. and, and those, are, those are tough, right? Because it's really hard. Uh, marketing can't solve everything. And, and, but when marketing does solve something, it is really exciting and fun. Um, marketing is not going to fix like foundational pricing issues or bad packaging or, I mean, or, you know, a horrible, um, consumer experience. Like you're not going to save yourself with marketing. Um, but when you have all of those things, right. And then you have an incredible marketing campaign. Um, it is really, it's really fun to see it work. Well done. Very nice. All right. So that that's, uh, recapping where Sarah's, uh, career path has gone uh, from, from graduating all the way through the pharma, making the turn into agency world, into this net new role, which we're going to dig into a little bit more here. Uh, but let's first uh, take a quick break. Let me ask you a question. What's been the best marketing career advice you've ever received? Now, one of the most common answers we've heard uh, from guests of this podcast and from our community as the answer to that question is, is to get a mentor or to form your own career council. Now, Jed and I wanted to do something that would make this a reality an opportunity for every marketer. So our current paid monthly membership option, TMH Plus, offers access to weekly group coaching, mentorship calls, and direct access to mentors via chat. So think of it like your, your own emergency line to help handle any challenging marketing career moments that you face. So we're offering a trial access to this TMH Plus met, uh, membership tier for only $1. $1 to get you a personalized sounding board advice, guidance uh, that can help you land the higher salary, the promotion, or simply just gain confidence to manage your team 
or your client more effectively. So $1. If you have $1 and you're ready to start uh, accessing this level of career support for the next month, just go to themarketinghelp.co forward slash plus, enter the promo code listed, and we will message you shortly after you join to start a conversation. So that's themarketinghelp.co forward slash plus. Let's get back to the episode. Okay, Sarah, so head of commerce inside a large agency like PhD Media. Uh, I'm just curious to know, and I'm sure our audience would, would love the insight here, is when you think about, you know, let's go quarter by quarter, you know, knowing you're managing many campaigns, what are the three areas of focus, the three main areas of focus that you are uh, looking at uh, in a given quarter as part of your role? Um, so as, as any, uh, for any quarter, let's see, um, I would say the first area of focus, um, uh, let's see. So I think a couple of things, uh, the first being, um, kind of how are we tracking as a business, right? Mm -hmm. Like what, what are we doing? How are we growing the commerce, um, uh, business revenue line, um, which clients are we working with and which clients should we be working with, um, is kind of like the first piece right around, like, how are we performing and what's on the horizon? Mm -hmm. Um, the second piece is around kind of my team, right? Like how are they performing and, and what's on their horizon? Um, and ensuring that they're getting the experiences that they, they want and need for their careers. Um, and ensuring that if we had a deliverable for this quarter, making sure that we're on track for that, if we have a deliverable um, for their personal development in this quarter as well, let's make sure we're on track for that, whether that's a training or a conference or um, an experience or exposure to leadership, um, making sure that we have all of those things lined up to happen. And then the last piece really is around um, ensuring that we're bringing uh, new knowledge, thought leadership, um, and, and expertise to our clients and, and to the organization as well. So we, we've um, had uh, a couple of kind of key things that we've got off the ground this year, one being Commerce Club. Um, and so we, we have a quarterly, sometimes every other month meeting. Uh, it started off as quarterly, but there's such hot demand for it that we're, we're having more meetings, which is exciting. Um, but it's really around bringing everyone that works on commerce within the agency together, um, ensuring that we're sharing knowledge, ensuring that we're meeting each other. Because oftentimes when you work on a client, you just work on that client and you only know your team, um, but ensuring that people can meet kind of cross clients and, but share the same discipline. Um, and so ensuring that that meeting is, is on track, ensuring that we have new people introducing themselves and getting to know each other um, and ensuring that we are sharing all of the, the best uh, practices and opportunities to learn with that group. And are those areas of focus uh, things you communicate with across your team so your team is aware of like, hey, when we look at our three areas of focus, this is them? Yeah, I would say so that, I mean, cause I work at the center, so I'm client agnostic. Um, and so it really is around like one being, you know, what are our business of goals? Like, how are we tracking Two, how are we tracking as people and three, how are we building the organization, um, and our clients expertise in the space? Now, what you said there is interesting too, where you said you're client agnostic. So you're, you're the centers of excellence team focused around commerce. So you're deploying, I'm assuming, uh, team members to various account teams to inject them with the uh, expertise of commerce. Is that yes. true? Okay. Yeah. And then we kind of flex in and out um, to get a team, like either to stand up a team um, or to bring in new knowledge, right? If a, a team is only focusing on, let's say, 
one of the retailers, but they want to expand to another retailer, um, we can bring in like our head of retail media to kind of help stand that up, um, help recruit, help ensure that we have the right staffing. Um, and then, um, and similarly, if it's, oh, this client's done retail media, but never done social commerce, how do we flex there Got it. So, and help them so stand that up? In the context, given that this is your team who, who is sitting, like you said, in the, in the center, uh, flexing with account teams as needed. So in the context of working cross-functionally inside of an agency, finish this sentence for me. An agency team that operates like you do needs what? in order to succeed? What's, what's the blank there? What, what is it that agency team that you're running need? What needs to be there in order to be successful? Endurance. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is, um, it is a, it is something that you have to keep beating your drum, right? Like I show up to every meeting I'm invited to. I show up to every organizational announcement with some kind of commerce update. Um, I need every single client business lead to be thinking about commerce um, and how it could help them build a relationship with their client, expand their scope with their client, allow their client to better reach their consumers. Um, and so ensuring that I take advantage of every meeting I can go to and every opportunity to talk to these folks um, and, and keep commerce on their radar. And, and then when I do show up, bring them value, right? Like the, I think the worst thing about a center of excellence that I've learned in, when I was relying on centers of excellence is when they talk a lot, but they don't actually help. Um, <laughs> and so I think what my goal is to actually help and, and show up with solutions, show up with slides, decks, presentations, people um, to actually do the lifting um, versus like, here's a playbook good luck. And, and I think that playbooks are great until they're published and out of date. And so how do you, uh, so as like a guiding principle for us is like, let's get in there quickly, learn the business, add value. Um, and then, and then figure out what the long-term uh, relationship looks like. I, I love how you say that because it, it, it <clears throat> hits close to me because I used to run a centers of excellence team and an agency a couple positions ago. And you're so right because, you know, I've, I've made that mistake of giving the playbook to satisfy the request because this is back when social media was just becoming a thing that brands actually would invest not just time into, but money. So a POV on how to use Facebook to generate growth uh, was great for about three days and then <laughs> something else would happen. And then I had to deploy our social expert to really just go have a conversation so that you can provide value uh, as opposed to just lip servicing with a couple of things that are hot off the press. Uh, things are too dynamic to do that. And I agree that I like that idea of focusing on making sure you're providing value at the time. When you look at your team, so when, when you, the structure of your team, how many uh, direct reports do you have? Uh, three. Okay. Three that are directly reporting to me. And then we have like commerce people that sit in different client teams too. And then they have teams. So, so the, the net total of commerce team members is how many? Uh, probably about 35. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Now go back to when you first became a direct manager of people. Um, and what are some of the learnings that, that you've come across in your people management experience? Um, so a couple things here. I think the first is I had the benefit of having incredible managers mm -hmm. um, and not all of my peers did. And so I think, um, I was at the benefit of, I knew how I like to be managed and, um, and I've been the great leadership that I had, and I was able to, um, you know, pay that forward. Um, I think, uh, my, a couple of things, one is listen more than you talk. Um, because if, if you give people a space and you create the space for people, they will tell you what they need. 
Um, and there's often, if there is an issue, there's often more going on than what you see. Um, so I would say create the space for people to, to talk and, 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 and learn. Um, and then, uh, feedback is only, um, helpful when it's timely and relevant. Um, and so to give someone feedback, you know, weeks or days or even hours later, sometimes isn't relevant, is no longer, you know, helpful or relevant. Um, and then to give feedback on something where you don't have a specific example, um, is just really not helpful. Um, and so what I would, what I would say to new hires and, and new people who are being managed is if you get feedback and they don't have a specific example or a timely example, ask for one. Um, because it's, it's really hard to, um, get feedback that's not tangible. Um, and, and I've received feedback that wasn't tangible and feedback is a gift that you can either take or, you know, pass it on or leave it. Um, but I think that, um, one of the practices that I, that I continue to focus on is ensuring that feedback is timely and actionable and, and feedback can be uncomfortable. Um, and so I always also operate in the lens of, uh, if I, if someone needed to give me feedback, I would want them to give it to me, right? Like if I was doing something wrong or unprofessional or, um, even just like illogical, I would want someone to, to tell me that and flag that to me. And so I, I, I respect my uh, direct reports enough to give them feedback as well. And I always look at it as a, a, through the lens of respect, right? Um, if you respect someone, you should give them the feedback because you want them to do better and you want them to be better. <laughs> Is there anything different? I mean, great tips uh, that everyone should be thinking about when you look across your team. And even if you have a, a troubling manager, a manager you don't see eye to eye with, uh, everything you just said there, I think is valuable to look to impart. So is there anything different in terms of advice when it comes to managing up? So when, you know, it sounds like you have a great leader, which is, which is very fortunate. Uh, are, <clears throat> are there things you do differently when it comes to managing up to that individual that, that we should be, uh, keeping in mind? Uh, yeah, I think uh, it depends on your manager, right? I have a great manager today. I've had not great managers. I, mm -hmm. I have had awesome managers and not great managers. I think over-communicate if you need to. Um, you will know when you have a manager who needs to be over-communicated to because they will constantly be asking you questions and like, where's this and what's that and whatever. And if you can proactively um, over-communicate or proactively create, a, create the operating rhythm or cadence for when you'll provide um, updates, it can um, put some of that to rest. And um, I also think about, um, I always want my manager to look good, right? Like my goal is to make sure um, she or he looks incredible to their boss. Um, and, and so I think that how, if you can think about what your manager needs to look successful, it's, it, sometimes it's really far away and sometimes you don't know what that is, but, um, if you can ask that's even, if you have a great relationship, you can ask, Hey, like what, what's important to your boss. Um, it's a helpful way to understand what you can do to ensure that they're prepared for whatever meeting they're going into. Um, and, and so I think over communicate, ensure that if, uh, and I think certainly over-communicate if something's gone wrong, um, right? It is um, bad news tends to travel fast. And so how do you get there before it, how do you make sure that they're hearing it from you and from, instead of from somewhere else? Um, and so um, that's where the over-communicate can be really helpful if, if you're in a, if you're in a tough situation. Now, um, so switching gears here more towards another popular topic when it comes to marketing careers, and that's, you know, you clearly have, have, have uh, shown a pattern for success when it comes to uh, interviewing. 
and interviewing, or even if you want to consider networking as part of this too. But what is the the advice? And I and I hate to say that it, that it's it's common and it's and it's obvious because well, it's still happening where a lot of marketers really aren't interviewing well, or they're not doing the things that are necessary to stand apart. So, do you have any tips? You know, knowing that we have a very active audience of of those that are interviewing, not just for the first job or for the next job. Uh, what have you seen that has worked well as both the candidate and the hiring manager? Yeah. So as the hiring manager, my advice would be answer the question, right? <laughs> like um, so often I ask a question and I get like a 10 minute story that has nothing to do with the question that I asked. Um, and so I think answer the question. And if you don't have a great answer, like that's okay. Right. Like I, I think I think people are so afraid to say, you know what, like, I don't have a great example of that, but let me share an example of something that might be parallel. Um, like, think about it in, in a couple of different ways, because I would much rather have you say that than give me a, a long-winded spiral around nothing, because I walk away from that and I'm like, oh, no. Like, I, I think that's um, that's usually a red flag for me. If someone talks for a really long time and um, doesn't actually answer the question, it's really challenging as the interviewer. Um, I think as as a candidate, um, remember, like I always operate on the bad pancake rule. <laughs> like your first, your first interview is going to be your bad pancake. It most likely will be. Um, and so if you have an opportunity to like, maybe work a couple of interviews in there, like maybe schedule them so that you can work out the bad pancake first, um, on a job that maybe you're not so keen on. Um, I had an interview once where they asked if I could do this task and I was like, well, I've never done anything like that, but like, I probably could figure it out. And my husband was with an earshot and he was like, did you really just say that on an interview? <laughs> and I said, yes. And he was like, that might have been your bad pancake. And it certainly was. Um, and so I think, uh, know that there, you got to kind of work out, work out your story a little bit and, and, pan and pancakes, pancakes also. Um, but interviews are definitely, um, a practice and, and if you can practice through networking practice through even peers, um, asking each other's questions and, and, and do that prep. Um, it is definitely a skill, um, that if you come off the bench cold, like you, it's going to hurt. And so think about how you can warm up, think about how you can be well-prepared, um, without being scripted, um, and, and feel comfortable answering questions and, and get to the point quickly. Um, and then show your curiosity. I think, um, there's nothing worse than talking to someone who like clearly has done zero research about the job at hand. Um, and it's just like, do you actually want this? Um, and I know when you're interviewing, it can be like a lot, right? Like you can be working on multiple different companies and, and, and managing a bunch of different things, but like take the moment to write down some notes, come prepared, um, know that you're speaking about the right company to the right person um, and, and do, the, do the homework because I think um, it will allow you to show up more curious. It will allow you to ask good questions um, and it will allow you to feel more confident um, in those, those questions that you get asked. Definitely. Um, now, you gave me the example as a candidate as a, a bad pancake, but let's flip it. When you're, when you're interviewing, when you're the hiring manager, you're interviewing for roles that you're looking to fill. This is, could have been any, any case, you know, at any stop in your career, you know, everyone has that one person, the one candidate that we remember is like, why can't everybody be the same or why can't everyone interview the same way that that person did because they did such a great job. Do you have any, do you remember anybody that you interviewed where it was, it was so memorable because they did a, B or C and what was A, B, and C? 
yeah. So I think A is be human, right? Like I love to know about people. And I think often we put it at that last line of our, of our resume, like assets and, and things we like. And like, I read one that was like cheeseburgers and I thought it was amazing. Cause I was like, so tell me about your love for cheeseburgers, because at the end of the day, you have to work with this person. And like, if we can't have a real conversation about like things that you love, um, then like, it's going to be like a long days. Right. <laughs> so I think, um, show your personality. Um, I always start with like, I grew up in upstate New York and I moved to New Jersey and like, give a little bit about your story. Um, cause that's what makes us human and interesting. Um, if you love dogs, which I love dogs, like, tell me that, right. I think like, tell me something about you that stands out a little bit and not, not, nothing too personal or too weird, but like a little bit about like your, what you like to do, because I think so often we get like, well, I'm great at programmatic and I'm, I know everything about the Amazon DSP and I do this and that. And it's like, okay, but like, who are you? Um, and so I think, um, give a little bit about your personality. I think that's always good. And if you do do something interesting, share it. Cause I think that that will certainly make you stand out. I think don't take too long on your intro. Um, sometimes it's a 30 minute interview and someone spends 26 of it telling me their, their career history when it's, they've only had two jobs. Um, so, you know, make sure you, you hit the highlights and you move on. Um, and then, um, and do not have your, um, your, uh, your flaw be like, I just care too much. <laughs> like it just, yeah, the weakness the can't yeah. be, I just care too much. Right. Yeah. So like think of an interesting weakness, think about feedback that you've been given. Cause I think when people are more honest, um, it actually, as a people developer, I, I like to know that stuff because I want to figure out how to, how to coach you and how to create experiences that will, um, allow you to build that skill. Um, so I think, uh, I probably flipped that last one on its head, but, but the people who show up really, um, authentic, um, about where they have opportunities, where they want to learn. Um, cause sometimes a weakness is a weakness and sometimes it's just something you don't know yet. Um, and so how do you frame that up as a learning opportunity versus a weakness? I love it. And you're right. And I, and, and it, it is a shame when you, when you ask that question, however you phrase it in terms of what is an opportunity that you can work on in terms of, you know, weaknesses, et cetera. And, and you get that same old, you know, answer that's not really an answer about caring too much. I'm too detail oriented, all those things. So yes, you know, it's time to be unique. It's time to actually own something that you actually are not good at and have identified as an opportunity. So uh, good feedback there. Now, given your background and, and the places you've worked, the industries you've been tied to, and especially working for an agency, because like you said, your job is to be first to update clients on opportunities and things that are happening in the commerce space. What are some resources that we should know about uh, that have helped you navigate? Maybe it was uh, leadership, it was um, commerce, it's digital. What are your favorites and, and what, uh, what should we know about? Yeah, so I think for commerce, um, I love the Brave Commerce um, podcasts. Um, it is the, the founder of Micmac and the, um, founder of Profitero and they, uh, banter back and forth with several C CMOs and, um, heads of commerce and stuff like that. And, and they have, um, a really great podcast. That's also very short, which is nice. Um, cause it's a quick bite of, you know, less than 30 minutes. So that's one for commerce. Um, I think for leadership, uh, Rashad Tabalawaka, I think he, he sends out a, um, a weekly letter that's always very topical um and you can just sign up for his emails um and uh he was like a very senior person at publicist for years and um he has quite an incredible framework for how you think about uh, what you can offer a company 
um, and what you want to do next. Uh, so when you find yourself looking for a job, he's also a good resource to, um, to brush up on kind of his philosophy. Um, and then from a day-to-day stuff, I would say just um, all of the publications, right? So like the ad week, ad age, all of them have free content that they'll email you daily. Um, and so just making sure you're reading those headlines to stay up to speed on, on what's interesting. Um, ad age does like a top five campaigns of the week or something. And, and that's always really fun just to, to get energized about marketing, um, overall, which is, which is always good to get reminded of why we got into this biz. (laughs) Because like that plus it something new is coming out every week. It's it's All the time. Uh, it's what's kept me interested in this industry for so long is because it never goes stale. And if it's going stale, you're doing something wrong. Exactly. Um, you're not paying attention. Right. So um, good resources. I'll make sure to include those in the show notes. Now, if you were not, if you did not follow this path that led you into uh, healthcare through pharma, uh, uh, you know, find a passion for brands and for marketing, what would you be doing? Um, I might be running a hospital. I think if I had gone to get a master's in public health, uh, that was kind of the path I was headed was to run a hospital or or do something in that lens. Um, before that I was going to be a pharmacist. So, but once I realized the chemistry is really hard, um, I didn't make it through that path. So, um, probably something still in healthcare. Um, uh, but, um, probably not so, not so brand marketing if I, if I didn't land here. Got it. Okay. (laughs) Now, when, we, uh, when it comes to PhD media, I, I, I like to ask this, especially for companies that have, you know, large companies or, or, or hiring a ton. Is PhD media hiring and are there any roles that, that you wanted to mention? Yeah, we are hiring. Um, we have several different activation roles. So if you are in marketing today and you're thinking about media um, and activation, I think there's some um, different roles across search, social, programmatic, as well as commerce. Um, that one to two years, two to three years of experience is really a sweet spot for us that we're always looking to recruit. Um, so some folks with experience, um, but but not a ton of experience. Um, and so I think that one to three years of experience is, is usually a great spot that we're always looking for talent. Um, so if, if that speaks to you, um, feel free to reach out and would love to connect you um, with the recruiters and make sure that we, we get you lined up because there are, there's always opportunities um, at PhD. Now, one thing before I ask, you know, for, for best ways to pe- for people to connect with you, when you're saying one to three years of experience, and I get this question a lot when people are looking at different jobs, tell me that it's okay that when, when, when someone says, when you say one to three years experience, if someone has been uh, actively teaching themselves how to maybe learn some of these, these tools, uh, the commerce industry, and maybe they haven't met, met, managed a budget of 50 grand a, a month, that's still okay, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, demonstrating this, the the curiosity, the desire to learn, um, those are the things that I look for more than the technical skills because we'll we'll teach you the technical skills, right? Like I think that um, if we only hired for technical skills, we we'd have a really interesting dynamic, I think, within our organization. Um, and so I think um, we hire for the whole person, and and I think that that desire to learn, the desire to teach yourself, is is really um, an incredible skill set as well. Good. Thank you for confirming that because I think there's such a a mental block that keeps a lot of great talent, a lot of great people from connecting with companies because they, they feel so rigid uh, that the, the year's experience has to equate to something in their mind that is much larger than it really needs to be. So thank you for validating that. Um, in terms of uh, best place for our audience to connect with you, where can they find you? 
What's the best? Yeah, place? I would say LinkedIn. Um, it's Sarah Clayton um, on LinkedIn. Um, but if you also want to email me, it's sarah.clayton at PhD Media. Awesome. And I will .com. No, PhD Media. PhD Media. And <laughs> I will uh, include the links in the show notes along with the other resources, great resources that you gave. And Sarah, I want to thank you so much for your time. This is great insights. Um, love the path in terms of, again, going client to agency side versus what everyone is saying, going agency to client side. Um, but that's a great path, great story, great learnings, uh, but also the amazing opportunities that exist inside of agencies, also within commerce. Uh, so thank you for that and uh, wish you the best of luck with all things at PhD Media. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. All right, a big thank you to Sarah for joining me on this episode. Now, make sure you check the show notes for links to the resources she mentioned in the episode, but also ways to connect with Sarah. Uh, I'm even going to include a link to the career section of PhD Media if you want to check out roles that are available there. Uh, make sure to mention the Marketing Careers podcast when messaging Sarah so she knows where it came from. And listen, if you're stuck in your marketing career, you just need some guidance, support, want to connect with an experienced marketer, check out the marketinghelp.co forward slash plus. Uh, this was created just for marketers in this situation. Uh, when you get there, enter the promo code and you can access 30 days of access to a coach or a mentor just for a dollar. Uh, so let's start that conversation. Let's see how we can help you. Now, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening. And as always, this is your host, Eric Harvison, and I will catch you on the next episode.